Welcome to the Freight Broker Bootcamp audio experience, and I'm your host, Dennis Brown. I'm going to be introducing my guest here in just a minute, and then we're going to talk about how he was able to grow his freight brokerage to over $353,000 a month in sales and revenue, leveraging the agent business model, right? So we're going to talk a little bit about his journey. And without further ado, so this is my guest. Gentleman's name is Jason Rabine. Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Dennis. Why don't you give us you know, a one-minute background because you have a little bit of background in logistics. Bring us up to speed real quick and then we'll dive right in. Love it. Thank you for the intro. So I'm Jason Rabine. I'm the owner of Max Freight Lines. We opened our freight brokerage last March. Um, full transparency, I had no idea it was going to transform into an agent model. I opened it just for myself, you know, it was just for me to to book freight, not have to worry about corporate America above me. I got to pick and choose my customers. I came into the agent model as an eight-year veteran at a corporate brokerage. I started at Allen Lund in 2014. I think I finished last year at 150 grand in revenue in six months. You know, nothing major, but definitely wasn't where I thought I would be. And just through my activity on LinkedIn, I had people reaching out to me asking if I was hiring agents. And it slowly kind of turned into, well, let's investigate that. In February, we did 80 grand in revenue. In March, we did 150, 200, 300. We're, we're pacing for 400 this month. It just slowly kind of builds the momentum. I love it. I love everything about it. You know, I'll say this as an agency owner, the one thing I miss the most is booking freight all day because, you know, I have to kind of tow the company line both on the agent availability and my customer availability. Man, I work with some wonderful agents who just, they teach me things that I never knew in corporate America. They're niche-based. A lot of them are one guy just just does heavy haul and over to Metro. Another is just drayage. Another is pure open deck. I'm a one-in-one dry guy. That's all I've ever done. So now I'm getting this exposure into so many other niches so that when any customer comes to us, if I don't know how to handle it, I pass it off to an agent and we split the commission. So I don't turn it down where I would have before. Now I just roll it over into the best person who could fill that role and it's been tremendous. Perfect. All right, listen, let's pull that apart a little bit. So you started your brokerage in March of 22? Uh, 23. Sorry, March of this year, 23. Last year. March of 22. Yes, sir. Okay. So it's been, so March of 22. Yeah, about a year and a half. Okay. So we've been about a year and a half. Yeah. And you're on pace to do, you're doing 350 on pace to do 400,000 this month in gross revenue. We're pacing for about $3 million in sales this year. Gotcha. And what are you, kind of your average profit margins, your gross profit margins? Well, for as a company, after paying the agents, we're sitting at about eight and a half, nine percent 9%. The agents are right around 12% before the split. So they're, they're, they're getting their number. They're getting their number. Gotcha. So as a, on a gross margins are around 12% Correct. before you're paying the agents. Correct. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, great. All right, perfect. All right. So first of all, yeah, I mean, you had some experience- Coming from the brokerage industry, from the corporate brokerage side. So that definitely helps. You had some relationships, you understood the workflow, you understood some of the challenges, the demands and that were going on on the carrier side and the shipper side. So that definitely helps. So if anybody's listening to this, you know, who's coming from the corporate brokerage side or the corporate carrier side, or even from the corporate shipper side, you definitely have a leg up in expediting your your learning curve, right? You're going to be able to fold time a little bit. And a lot of students that that I've worked with over the years come from those backgrounds. So listen, let's dive in a little bit now. You talked about some of the niches, right? And I thought that was really interesting because so I want to pull that apart because I found the exact same thing. When we first started out in brokerage, when I started out in 03, 
you know, we were a one pick, one drop van guy, right? That's what we did. It, it yeah. was Northeast outbound van freight. There was a glut of vans and it, I knew we had access to them. And ultimately we, we sold that capacity. And then when we started expanding out, you know, we started learning a whole lot about all these different niches. Talk to us a little bit about that. You mentioned a little bit about it, but you talked about heavy haul and some of the other niches. What are some of the niches that you guys are doing now? So we do everything now. I mean, we're heavy into Canadian imports. Okay. Um, we do a lot of stuff with moving companies that move pods in and out of Canada. That's probably our biggest business right now. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of drayage, a lot of um, box truck stuff for trade shows, you know, yep. trade show booths, stuff like that. Yep. Me personally, I'm not the biggest fan of temp control, the reefer stuff. I'm okay with frozen, but but the produce, man, you got to have thick skin to deal with the produce side. It's it's high risk, high reward. Yeah. But man, it, it take the, the sail out of your wings or the wind out of your sail real quick. Yeah. So me personally, I try to not have so much focus on the temp stuff. So I try to kind of keep it even keel, you know, 20% here, 20% percent there. That way we're not overextended in one niche that all of a sudden could just go take a dump on me one day. You know, with these hurricanes, FEMA happens and then capacity goes wherever the hurricanes are, just stuff kind of follows it. So I, I try to insulate myself from potential disaster. Yeah. I love that diversification, that advice on diversification. I've talked about it many, many times before. The problem with most brokers and most agents is that 80% of their revenue comes from 20% of their clients. And when I say 20% of their clients, they might only have eight, seven or eight or 10 shippers. So that means two or three shippers are controlling 80% of your revenue. And that's a recipe for disaster, right? That Those are some sleepless nights can cause a lot of stress. So you need to take more of a mutual fund approach, right? Where you are diversifying your customer base. I remember when I sold the company, we were doing $80 million in sales. And I think the number one customer back then was doing like five to 7% of our total revenue, right? So it was a very small percentage of the revenue. And then you can also diversify it in other industries. So you're not so heavy into just van freight. You're not just so heavy into heavy haul or refrigerated. So diversifying there over time definitely will make your business more resilient, more sustainable, and will make for probably a little bit better sleep at night. Well, the market is cyclical, right? But it's not cyclical across all niches. It just isn't. You know, when the economy goes doo-doo, manufacturing kind of slows down on housing slows down, but guess what? Food is a recession-proof commodity. I don't care how bad the uh, economy is, everybody has to eat. Whether you have money or the government's giving you money for food, you're going to eat. So me personally, I feel like grocery is my number one area I focus on most that tries to keep me insulated from everything else that's cyclical. Now, in theory, that's great. But at the end of the day, we don't control what awards we're getting, what, you know, what spot bids we're going to win. But in my professional opinion, I try to stay in the areas that have the strongest ability to weather the storm. But again, two hurricanes in the South right now, FEMA sucks up a lot of that capacity. It doesn't matter how strong your carrier base is when you don't have enough trucks and you have too much freight, the market tips. And so, you know, I don't rely necessarily on one niche. That's why heavy haul is great. Drage is great. They all kind of come in their own season. UPS is one of my biggest customers. Well, in Q4, when everybody's moving nothing, I'm in the middle of peak season. So I try to kind of reverse engineer the pain points and keep my risk flat across the board as best I can. No, I like that. I like that diversification strategy. And what you'll find out over time is that all it's going to do, it's not going to guarantee your success. It's not going to guarantee growth, but it's going to smooth the bumps in the road, right? Because you know, you hear the old adage, cash is king. It's really not true, right? When you come to brokerage, what's what's king in brokerage is cash flow, flow yeah. cash flow, right? 
you've got to have a predictable and sustainable cash flow. You know, you do these projects, right, where they start and stop, and then all of a sudden your cash flow goes to shit after you collect those invoices, right? And they you you can make some really good money on it, but ultimately when you have fixed overhead, that cash flow is what has to survive and what really allows you to be sustainable. So, all right, let's talk a little bit about your agent business. How many agents do you have right now approximately? Uh, we have 10. You have 10 total agents. And tell us a little bit about your most successful agent. You don't need to tell the name, obviously, but maybe tell us some revenue numbers and maybe some commissions that they're making, whatever you want to share. Our average agent commission this past Friday was $3,500. Across a week. For a week, yeah. Yeah, I pay out every week, every Friday. Everything picked up through Wednesday at noon gets paid out on Friday. So talk about cash flow for us. The cash flow for the agents is nonstop. They they don't have to wait for the customer to pay. They don't have to wait for us to have invoices from the carriers. I pay them up front. I chase it down on the back end. Everybody's happy. Our average agent right now is probably booking 40, 50 loads a month. You know, we're, we're not nothing too crazy. Our top agents probably doing 25% of our revenue, you know, 100, 100 quarter. We're in that first couple months of ramp up for a couple of agents. So they're still getting used to us. We're getting used to them. I'm not afraid to take, you know, a flyer on somebody who doesn't necessarily have a big book of business. I'd like to see 80 to hundred grand a month in, in revenue to talk to you. But if you could sell me on why that's not necessarily important, do you have a good customer base? Is there not a lot of customer crossover between other agents where you're fighting for, you know, market share? Being that I have 10 agents, we don't have any crossover. Every Everybody's customers are exclusive. So yeah, I mean, that the agent model has been, uh, it's been a learning curve, but I'll tell you right now, it's been a force multiplier by far. You know, yeah, it definitely allows you to scale, obviously, if I, right? If I, I mean, afford one customer a month or one agent a month, my revenue goes up exponentially with an agent versus one customer. So I kind of looked at it from the other end and that that's really the way that it's been beneficial to us. Yeah. Now, one thing I want you, anybody who's thinking about becoming an agent, right? I want to share one thing with you. What Jason said was his average agent last week made $3,500 in commission. That was the commission to that. Now they've got very low overhead. When I say low overhead, their total overhead is probably by 500 less than, definitely less than a thousand bucks a month. Okay. Yeah. A month. So yep. that right there is approximately what they'd be making on a yearly basis if they average that, right? As an agent working from home. So it can be very lucrative. Okay. Yeah. It, can be, it can be very lucrative. Now, not everybody's going to make that money, not no. something, but on average, what Jason just shared with you is that's kind of what his agents will. In, in the range that they'll be. His top agent will be more. His newer agents will probably be a little bit less, but it'll average out to that. So that's amazing. So quick question for you. So how are you finding your agents? How are you recruiting your agents? What's the primary source that you're using to to develop those agent relationships? I hate to say this out loud, but I'm fully transparent. 100% <laughs> of my customer inbound and my agent inbound is from LinkedIn. 100%. I don't outsource. I don't. I don't advertise. I put out a post here and there on LinkedIn. People know me from my um, my content, but I'm not actively selling our agent model every day. I might post twice a month. It's just from people getting to know me or referrals. That's it. It's that right. simple. I don't spend money. I, I don't advertise heavy. Yeah, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, you, you, you. If anybody who's listened to me for more than a more than one week or one video or one live knows that I'm a huge advocate of LinkedIn and social selling, a huge advocate of creating content. I've been on LinkedIn since 2007, 2008. You know, I remember when I got. You know, I remember what LinkedIn looked like back then. It was very, very different. Right? It wasn't the same as it is today. It's much easier today, and in some ways, it's a little bit harder. But there are a lot more shippers using 
using LinkedIn. So that's a big advantage. And there's much better tools. And of course, there's more competition. But like anything else, the cream rises to the top. And I know Jason and I connected through his content. That's how we initially connected was through his content. And so, yeah, so obviously it's working. So so you're getting most of your agents through LinkedIn or referrals. So the question is now, this is the hardest question for anybody to answer when they're new or starting out in the agent business model, right? If you're going to build your business as an agent business model is what makes you different? The hardest part about a startup, right? Because you're relatively new. You've been in business for you know a year and a half, but you're relatively new. The hardest part is trying to go out on an agent business model and compete with people who have had their agent business model and the product evolving for five or 10 or 15 or 20 years. My old company, right? We built built the business using an agent business model. They have a lot of great tools. They've got a lot of great benefits. They've got a great brand. They've got a great reputation, right? So ultimately, how do you overcome that? What's the selling point for you in order to attract quality agents, right? Because we all know you could hire somebody who has zero experience. You'll have a, a gluttony of those people that'll be reaching out to you after uh, after this interview, but the experienced people who have a book of business, how do, you, how do you differentiate yourself there? You know, again, it goes back to my content. I'm pretty, I, I post one to two times a day. I'm pretty opinionated. I'm open-minded. The people that know of me know what they're getting when they come to me. So what separates me from a big brand is big brand awareness is a three-digit initial on a masthead. There's a thousand people between the top and who you're going to deal with at those companies. People that come to me have my phone number, my email, my address. They can call me directly. I talk to my agents every day. I'm accessible. We grow together. You know, they're at the bottom floor of what I hope to be a $100 million a year company one day. So they get the added benefit of being at the ground floor of a startup. They get to help shape and mold the culture, the policies, you know, while I have 10 years experience, I have a hundred years experience between the 10 of us. So I get to leverage their opinion and their experience and vice versa. And there's times where I put a policy together where it doesn't vibe with half of the agents and we modify it to meet in the middle so that it works for everybody. So the way that I get to define what we do versus the big boys is you get Jason. Not only are you working for Max Freight, you get to work with me. And I don't say that in, in a egotistical way. I say that in an accessible way. My phone's yeah. off 7 That's all there is to it. That's the key. What you just said was what I was going to point out here, which is access, yes. right? If you go out to a big brand who probably has hundreds or maybe even thousands of agents, okay, and you go out to them and you approach them, you're going to be working with a mid to low level manager who has his marching orders to hit certain metrics and has limited access to the decision makers that are even in his own organization. Whereas if you work with a smaller brokerage, someone like Jason or other people that are, you know, that are maybe in in business a year or two or three or five years and, and are willing to, you know, put a good product out there on the agent side, you can get access to the actual decision makers, influencers, people that are running the business, right? Yeah. And so that was a huge, that was a huge differentiator when we first started doing the agent business model. I did the exact same thing as you. I yep. developed a relationship with every single agent that came on board. They had my cell phone number. They had my email. They had access. We had regular meeting. Uh, you know, it helps the turnover. You know, when, when you have that connection, they're not looking to hook and book somewhere else. You know, someone can't poach them as easy as if somebody who was just a number and a machine on a spreadsheet somewhere. Yeah, I can't tell you how many agents, when I had my brokerage, we were never the brokerage who paid 70 or 75% commission. We never did. It didn't happen. Yeah. And the way we justified that is we provided more benefits and tools than you'll make going to another brokerage by getting three or five or even sometimes 10% more in commission. 
And I can't tell you how many agents came to us and said, listen, I was offered 70%. I'm going to stay with you at 65 because of X or because of Y or because of the trust level or because of the relationship or because of the tools or because of whatever other thing that was important to them. So what I would urge you, Jason, and I think I may have already even shared this with you privately in some messaging in the past, what I would urge anybody else who's interested in leveraging an agent business model is this. You have to look at your agent business model as if it's a product and you have to develop that product. You have to create a competitive product to everybody out there, but it doesn't mean you have to be the same. As a matter of fact, you shouldn't be the same. You should be different. You need to figure out a way to be different. You've heard me say it and you've probably heard other people say it. Different is better than better. It'll be very hard for you as a startup to be better than everybody at the agent model. You may not have better technology. You may not have better training. You may not have a better commission split. You may not have better benefits or whatever that better might be, but being different isn't that hard. And that's the other thing that Jason's doing. He's being different. He is posting on LinkedIn. He's being very transparent. He's being very vulnerable. He's being different in that he's giving access, right? The CEO of Landstar, okay, or the CEO of Echo Global or of Global Trans or any of those companies is not getting on the phone with an agent. I don't care if you're an agent that's doing 50 million a year. He's not getting on the phone with you. Okay. So, I I mean, I wanted to hone in on that because I think that's a really important lesson that people need to take away from this because it's just, you have to take that type of perspective. If you think you're going to start a freight brokerage and you're going to go out here and you're going to just start hiring agents and start making a fortune and sticking you know, five or 10 or $20,000 a week or a month in your pocket. It's just not going to happen that way. It takes, you have to be intentional, right? Be very intentional. So um, anything you want to add to that, Jason? Yeah, I think a, a segue to a, a different value prop that we offer is because we're smaller and it's me as the decision maker, we're much more adaptable, quicker. We don't have to go through multiple meetings with, you know, talking heads and points. If something doesn't feel right, we're, we're on the phone together as a group and we make a decision right now. So the ability to adapt to market conditions in real time really is what separates us. Because when Yellow took a dump, you know, a couple months ago, there were some other companies out there who wanted to keep riding with Yellow. And I had agents come to me saying, I have a thousand loads on Yellow's deck right now. If they shut the doors, how are my customers going to get their freight back? I said, we cut Yellow off a month ago to prevent that. That's the adaptability that helped protect us from some things in the future that we could foresee coming. And that turned into two or three agents who just saw the ability to have input and it be a a move, you know, it moved the needle, if you will. So yeah, you know, that's an, that's an advantage. I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's an advantage that small businesses have over large businesses, just as a general rule, not even talking about the agent model, right? So your ability to make decisions quicker and to adapt is a benefit that you have. It's not a, most people look at being small as a negative. That's a positive, right? When you have a big company, it's very hard to steer that ship, right? You mentioned Alan Lund. That's a big company. When they need to make a policy change, it's very hard to steer that ship and things move very, very slow. But when you decide or your, you know, your your management team or your or your agent base or whatever decides to make a change, you can pivot very quickly and make those adjustments. And so that's a huge advantage. So I love that you brought that up. That's it. That's very important. We also don't have crazy overhead. So if we make a mistake, it doesn't eat, it doesn't eat at the bottom line as much. We don't have to be as calculated. We could be a little bit more risky 
Yeah. And a little less conservative right now. But as we grow, we lose that leverage. So we might as well make those decisions now so that we can kind of pivot in the in the cultural direction we, we want to move towards. All right. One more thing I want to hit on, and that is when you bring on an agent, right? If they have a book of business, and I'm kind of teeing this up for you because I think this yep. is important. We haven't talked about it yet. When you bring on an agent who's got a book of business, what happens or how do you handle some sort of a conflict with you know the owner of that shipper, the the agency owner of that shipper, or having you even run into that much? Because I know in a lot of big brokerages, right? If you're an agent who's got a $2 million book of business and you try to go to Landstar, you try to go to Global Trans, you try to go to my old company, there's definitely going to be some crossover and conflict and you're probably not going to be able to transition 100% of your book. How has that worked out for you? How has that impacted you? What have you seen? So far, there has been zero crossover between agents. So we've been lucky, but I have a, a policy in place and I talk to every agent about it before they onboard. So let's say, for example, two uh, agents have a crossover of a customer. Well, let's look at it objectively. Let's not just say, okay, John has, you know, we'll call it UPS, right? And then Steve comes over and has UPS. Well, UPS is a big company. There's no way John's handling 100% of UPS's freight. Let's look at objectively, what lanes do you have? Who are the planners you're talking to? If you're not even in the same geographic location, there really isn't any crossover. Now, I make sure that they talk to each other about it. You know, if there comes a time where there's some crossover, obviously the person that was here first they get precedence, you know, they get priority. If there needs to be a rev split, let's say Steve comes over with, you know, UPS and John's like, hey, I want 5% of everything you bring in and I'll let you have wide open, go do you. If they can uh, come to an agreement where, you know, it's zero or 5% or nothing, why would anyone say no to, to zero or nothing? Let's let's figure out a way to accommodate everybody commission split wise. So there is discussion that could happen, but if there's no crossover and it's the same company, there's no commission split. You do you and you do you, everybody. So the advantage there is one, you can customize the solution, you know, for that so that the hand fits the glove. And then the second thing I want to point out to the audience is is the glaringly obvious one that we hadn't talked about up till this point, which is if you work with a smaller brokerage, you know, they've got the tools and they've got the credit and they've got the, the fundamentals in place and you have a book of business when you're migrating into that company, you're probably not going to run into a lot of crossover and you're going to be able to migrate all of it's not a very high percentage of your book. But if you go to the big brokerages, I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to migrate 100% of that book because number one, they won't customize it. It's a one size fits all. And number two, they've got legacy agents that have been doing business with those companies for five or 10 or 20 years, and they're not going to risk losing them. So you're going to lose that client. So that's another differentiator for a guy like Jason in a smaller brokerage is that you're going to be able to retain a lot bigger percentage of your freight. And then the other side is even if you're new coming in, you know, and you come in and you want to go out and get those bigger clients, a lot of those clients are already going to be taken by other agents in a big brokerage, but they're wide open in Jason's because the reality is even though he's got 10 agents, he's probably only has less than a hundred active shippers in any given month. And that means there are millions out there for you to choose from. So, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to sell Jason's program here, but I, you know, it seems like it's selling itself because I already was in his shoes. I did exactly what he was doing. So I know the playbook, right? And so 
I, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have mom because I appreciate where he is. I think he's doing a great job. Um, listen, one more thing before we go. What's oh. the biggest lesson you've learned since venturing off into your own brokerage? If you had one thing, because I know there have been many, I'm sure that every week and every day there's new things you're learning. But if there was one thing you learned along the way since starting the brokerage, what would it be? What would you want to share with the audience? Nobody talks about how important or even what credit looks like on the other side of the set. Nobody. You can have a million loads. Good luck finding customer or, or carriers that factoring companies will extend you credit as a new brokerage. And so there's a lot of, I'll pay a half now, half later, a lot of Venmo, a lot of creative financing on the front end. You know, we factor for a reason in the beginning to help with cash flow. I had money put away for those what ifs and I paid a lot of people up front. The biggest hurdle I had, and you don't really have it as an agent because when you work for a company, they have their own credit. But as a new brokerage, man, that credit was rough. And I, I asked 10 different factoring companies how the credit worked. They all give me different answers. So there's a lot of misinformation or, or misunderstanding of what it really looks like. And at the end of the day, man, I, I probably should have started six months after I got my MC to let it age a little bit. Went and got a Love Steel card, a Staples card, worked up my business credit on the back end of the Ansonia credit because it's not just done in Bradstreet. It's your, your Ansonia credit score is really your broker credit score. So I had no idea that was even a thing. I went out and got a business credit card. I started building up my business credit had no effect. When I started getting declined credit, I thought, I have good credit. What am I missing? And then I got on the phone with these guys and I thought, okay, okay, now now I'm understanding. So that the credit was the biggest hurdle. Yeah. Your transportation related credit is weighted way beyond what your non-transportation related yeah. credit is. And every load board, whether it's dad or truck stop or whatever load board has some sort of credit feature built into it where every carrier can see how long the broker has been in business and what their average days to pay are. And if you don't have a credit rating on a load board, you're going to find it's good. It can be challenging to find carriers to move your loads. And there's creative ways you can do it. You can do quick pays and you can do halves and halves and you can do those things and, and they will work and you will build your credit pretty quickly. Within 90 days, you'll build your credit up to the point where most carriers will work with you if you're moving loads consistently. But that first 90 days can be a challenge, but that's how it is in every business. Every business is that way. You think a bank is going to loan you money? You think a major supplier is going to loan you money? I mean, if you go to a pizza place and you go and you want to buy dough and whatever and all this different you know, food ingredients from Cisco, you think they're going to give you credit? No, they're not. And if they do, they'll give you a thousand bucks and then you got to turn that over and then you got to turn that over and turn that over. That's just the nature of, of a startup, right? And so, you know, but Jason pointed out a really good point and that is if you're, if that is going to become an issue for you, become an agent. Start as an agent because you no longer have that issue. You don't have to worry about the billing. You don't have to worry about the collections. You don't have to worry about the credit. You don't have to worry about the insurance. You focus on getting and serving and supporting your customers. And for that, you make 50, 60, 70% of the profit. Money very little up. risk. Funny you brought that up. Some of the agents that I brought on started their own brokerage and struggled in areas that I did. And I brought them on to age their MC, teach them all of the hiccups they're going to have when they flip the switch back into their own brokerage. But they've also developed a carrier base, a customer base that they can leverage when they move over. And it's easier for them to you know, spend six months as an agent while their broker MC ages and then put it all together in a year rather than fail in six months because you just couldn't get it to work. So that's another thing that I offer is, look, if you want to be your own company, I don't mind. I'm not here to keep you forever. I love helping people get to the decision that I made because the freedom that comes with that is something you can't, you just can't, I can't put words into it. So I, I, I love helping people level up. This is a stepping stone to the next stage.
change. So I don't mind being that incubator at all. Love it. Well, listen, Jason, let everybody know how they can connect with you, learn more about you on LinkedIn, maybe check out your agent program, and then we'll wrap it up for today. Of course. Um, I post on LinkedIn one to two times a day, Monday through Friday. So Jason Rabine uh, on LinkedIn. You could send me an email at jason at Max Freight Lines, or you could check us out on our website, maxfreightlines.com. Love it. Perfect. Listen, thank you so much for being here. Congrats on all your success. Uh, you. you know, we'll, we'll stay in touch. Maybe we'll touch base in a year or two and see how business continues to progress. But again, thank you so much for being here. Anybody that wants to connect with Jason, we'll, we'll put the links here on the screen. And for those of you that are curious about becoming a freight broker or a freight agent, and you're looking for information, maybe you know, you're know you struggling, you're finding some information on YouTube, and you're finding some stuff on Instagram, and you're finding some stuff on TikTok, and maybe on Google, but it's not all jiving, check out FreightBrokerBootCamp.com, trained over 10,000 students. We offer a 60-day, 100% unconditional money-back guarantee. Check that out. Truly appreciate you guys being here. Make sure you join me for next week's Freight Broker Bootcamp Live. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. I'm humbled that you allowed me to be a part of your day. Now subscribe to the podcast so we can do this more often. And for those of you that take the next 15 to 30 seconds to rate and review the podcast, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate it. And who knows, maybe we'll give you a shout out on a future episode.